It's good to see you guys. New Year's resolutions. How many of you made at least one? Cowards. <laughs> I got to be honest, I'm not sure I made one either. But anyway, the first service, we had one person raise their hand. But I want to give you some resolutions that you can keep. And some of these Denny Huff sent me a few years ago, and I've got some of my own now. It's always good to have a few resolutions that you know that you can keep. And so I'm going to give you a few here. I'm going to kind of count down from six to one. All right. So number six, get a 2020 calendar and shred it. All right. That's number one. Take the shredded calendar and burn it. That's the second one. Take more naps. Laugh more. Eat more chocolate. Now I'm getting a witness. Chocolate. All right. <laughs> and then discover love. Y'all, we do need to laugh. We have enough serious stuff going on in our life. I don't know what it is that makes you laugh. Uh, I'm one of those guys, I like the Three Stooges. Pray for me, all right? So there's something. Brenda doesn't get it. Brenda does not get it. But anyway, so I like slapstick comedy. But whatever it is that makes you laugh, there's something just so healthy about laughing. And so hopefully you can cultivate a healthy uh, laughter in your life. I think it's important and to discover love. And so uh, this morning I want to talk about, uh, got a new series here coming up, but as we're thinking about love, I want to begin with some children. Because children have such an amazing way, I, no matter how many commentaries I study, children have a way of bringing up something that you've never, ever, ever heard before. But they ask children about love. Now most of these responses are between a husband and a wife, but uh, we can make some of that relation between our, us and God. But uh, love according to children. What do people do on a first date? Mike, age five, said on a first date, they just go out and tell each other lies, and that usually gets them interested enough to go on a second date. <laughs> I think he got something there, right? I think there's something there, so he understood something there. And then, uh, how do you fall in love? Caitlin, age six, said, I think you're supposed to get shot with an arrow or something, but the rest of it isn't supposed to be so painful, all right? So that was kind of her view of it. What do people in love do? Carl, age five, said, love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne, and they go out and smell each other. How many of you remember those early days? I mean, you get in the car, you can't hardly breathe because of all the cologne and everything, and it's, it's all about love. It's all about love. What is love like? Jamie, age six, said, Love is like a little old woman and a little old man who are still friends even after they know each other so well. Oh, that's good, man. That's good stuff. What is love like? Roger, not me. Roger, age four, said, love is like an avalanche where you have to run for your life. <laughs> when Roger falls in love one day, he will run toward the avalanche and not away from it. Amen. You want to run toward it. I love kids. Why do people in love hold hands? Dave, age six, says they want to make sure their rings don't fall off because they paid good money for them. <laughs> All right. Grab your, grab your honey today, all right? All right. When should people say, I love you? Jessica, age six, says, you really shouldn't say, I love you, unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot. People forget. That's good. That's good stuff. Last one. How do you make your love last? Randy, age five, said, be a good kisser. It might make your wife forget that you never take out the trash. 
Hey, it's at least worth trying that, right? Being a good kisser. But anyway, <laughs> that's good stuff. Only kids can come up with that kind of stuff. I think it was Art Linkler said, kids are funny because they don't know what they're saying. Old people are funny because we don't care what we're saying, all right? But anyway, kids have a, a pretty good perspective there. And so 2020, maybe we have some things left that are undone. Got a lot going on in 2021. I'm going to begin a series in January on First Things First sermon series, all right? As we begin to think about putting our life in order, it's always important to have some priorities and make sure we keep the first thing, the first thing, the main thing, the main thing, okay? And so the very roots of everything that is good and first can be found in God. God is literally the foundation of everything that is good and everything that is first. In Isaiah 44, 6, one of the titles for God in the Old Testament is, I am the first and the last. And he says, besides me, there is no God. And so when we're talking about first things first, we got to always know that the absolute first thing was God. And the last thing will be God. By the way, this is a verse, many years ago I had the Jehovah Witnesses come by, and uh, Jehovah Witnesses are very dedicated, very devoted, but they are, they are not a Christian denomination. I just want to tell you guys that. We have a different belief of what it takes to get to heaven, if there even is a heaven in their viewpoint. But I remember the Jehovah Witnesses come by, and I had a copy of their Bible, which is the New World Translation. And so I, I already had it marked and everything. And we went to this verse in Isaiah 44, 6, and their Bible is similar to our Bible. And their Bible, it says, I am the first and the last, besides me there is no God. And so I said to these two Jehovah Witnesses, would you not agree that first and last, that is a title for God and God alone? They said, yeah, we believe that. that that's, that's Jehovah. I said, I agree with you. That is a title for God because he's the only one that can say he's the first and he's the last. Then I went to Revelation 1 where Jesus is speaking, and they even believe that that was Jesus speaking in Revelation 1, and I got their Bible out, the New World Translation. Now, they changed a lot of things in there but they forgot to change this one, at least at that point. And so I read in here, do not be afraid, Jesus is speaking, I am the first and the last. I said, isn't that interesting that Jesus is claiming a title that only God can claim? He's claiming God. And then he goes on to say, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I asked these two Jehovah Witnesses as they sat in my living room, I said, when did Jehovah die? And they looked at each other. They didn't have an answer. And then they made a mistake and they asked me, when did, when did Jehovah die? I said, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I believe Jehovah died physically when Jesus was in an earth suit and he died on the cross for you and I. He was, he did experience death, but he also experienced victory over death in the grave so that you and I could go to heaven. And so I shared that with him, and I just shared, even in your translation, Jesus is claiming to be Jehovah. In the very last, in Revelation 22, the very last chapter, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And so, as again, as we start a series on first things first, understand that the very first thing was God. That he literally was the foundation, the roots of everything that is first. 
And then uh, in 2021, the main thing is to keep the first thing the first thing. So everybody say together, the main thing is to keep the first thing the first thing. All right, that sounded like you guys were in all different places, all right? So let's try it again. That's why I would never be a choir director, all right? Never be a choir director. But everybody say together, the main thing is to keep the first thing the first thing. Never ask me to lead choir, all right? Never ask me to lead choir. But anyway, that's the main thing. So as we're thinking about all the things we're juggling in life, wouldn't it be important to keep the main thing as the first thing? What are those first things, all right? And so Jesus was asked by a scribe, and by the way, scribes and Pharisees, they knew the scripture inside and out. And I think I've shared, when a, when a young boy grew up in the home of a Pharisee, they memorized the first five books of the Bible by the time they were 12 years old. The first book they started with was Leviticus. How many of you remember memorizing Leviticus? That's, that's way on my to-do list, way, way down the list. But they're asking Jesus, what is the first commandment? Now Matthew records it a little different. Matthew records, what is the great commandment? And so what they're asking Jesus is, of all the scripture, and they knew the scripture, what is the most important thing to God? Now that's a pretty good question, and, and he asked the right person. You know, if you were to poll 100 people, what's the most important thing about the Bible? I know there's somebody say it'd be evangelism. That's the most important thing. And evangelism's important. But I don't think God created Adam and Eve to evangelize. Because first of all, there was no reason to evangelize because sin had not entered the world. And first of all, and second of all, there was nobody to evangelize. It was only Adam and Eve. Others may say worship. You know, there's a lot of things that are important. But they asked Jesus... What is the first thing? What is the priority? What is the main thing in God's opinion? All right? So we're going to look at it. So Jesus responds and he answers and says to him, The first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment and he says the second is like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets in other words Jesus says to the scribe who knew the law he said if you were to take God's word and just divide it up into two things you would find yourself loving God and loving your fellow man that's what it's all about as a matter of fact, if you look at the Ten Commandments, they're really the negative side of that. You know, the commandments are negative, thou shall not, thou shall not, thou shall not. But if you look at it on the positive side, if you really love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you're not going to take his name in vain. You know, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not going to steal from your neighbor. You're not going to kill your neighbor. And so the truth is, if we can focus on the main thing, if we can love God with everything we have and love our neighbors ourselves, that really is what it's all about. It's all about those two things, all right? And so I want to talk for just a minute about the church of Ephesus because they were, in my opinion, maybe the greatest church that has ever existed was the church at Ephesus. And this is a modern-day picture, by the way, of the church of Ephesus. If you go visit there... These are the ruins that you will see. And so how many of you can conclude the church didn't make it? 
right? So they didn't make it. But I want to go back and just look at, at what the Bible says about this incredible church. First of all, Paul spent at least two years in Ephesus during his third missionary journey, and that's found in Acts chapter 19. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul pouring two years of his life into this church? I mean, he literally put his heart and soul into his ministry. I love how he says in Corinthians that while he was at Ephesus, he fought with wild beasts. I don't know if that was talking about a deacon's meeting, a staff meeting. I'm not sure what he was talking about, but he did not have it easy. I mean, Paul did not have it easy, but he poured everything he had. It goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 16, he had many adversaries. You know, you're not always going to have everybody patting your back. You're not going to have everybody always agreeing with you. When you're walking with God, sometimes there's opposition, and he talks about that. But when he met with the elders in Acts chapter 20, and this, the Bible says, would be the last time they would see his face. I mean, I encourage you to read that passage. It's very emotional. As Paul says to the elders of this church, that for day and night, I poured my heart into this church. I gave everything I had. I poured my life into this church. And when he got ready to leave, the Bible says they all just openly wept. I mean, there was so much love, so much emotion, because again, Paul gave them everything that he had. The Bible says in Acts 19 that God worked unusual miracles through the hands of Paul while he was at Ephesus. So God's power was working in an amazing way. And by the way, if you read the book of Ephesians in the Bible, that was a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. And so again, he is concerned. He loves the church. He wants to see them grow and continue in their relationship with God. We also know that Timothy pastored there. The book of First and Second Timothy in the Bible, Paul wrote to Timothy while he was pastoring the church at Ephesus. And so Ephesus really has a prominent place in so many places in the Bible, all right? So Timothy pastored there, and we know from history that John the Apostle also lived in Ephesus. And I believe, my personal opinion is, I believe Mary the mother of Jesus also lived in Ephesus. Because you remember on the cross when Jesus before he died he looked down he saw John he saw his mother and you remember he said to his mother behold your son and he said to John behold your mother and the Bible says from that hour John took Mary into his home now if John moved to Ephesus I believe Mary, the mother of Jesus, moved to Ephesus. How crazy would it be that if you attended the church at Ephesus to have John the Apostle there and also Mary, the mother of Jesus? Can you imagine if you're in a discussion and you have a question about Jesus? Wait, wait, just a minute. Let me go down to adult four women and ask Mary. I mean, how amazing this church must have been. I mean, this was a church that was just really doing it for God. And you can see why with all the leadership that they had in the church. By the way, and I didn't put on there, but Ephesus was 101 kilometers from the island of Patmos, which you know is 62.758 miles. And so he didn't have far. This is where they threw him. You remember he was exiled out on the island when he saw the vision of Revelation. So it wasn't very far from where he was living. And so when Jesus wrote the church in, in Revelation chapter 2, it wouldn't surprise us that they were doing a lot of things right. I mean, this was a church that was hitting on 99.9% .9 of all the cylinders. I mean, they were flat 
getting it done for God. So Jesus commends them and says they were opposed to those who were evil. They exposed false apostles. They persevered. They exercised patience. They labored literally to the point of exhaustion in Jesus' name, and they did not become weary. I mean, here was a church doing it for God. I mean, they were going, they were doing, they were exhausted in serving, and they were doing it in his name. And again, you can understand why with all the great leadership they had. But he says, one thing I have against you, you've left that first love. See, they were so busy serving God, they got so busy serving God that their passion for God, that honeymoon love, was on the back burner. I just want to tell you, one of the first things to go is that honeymoon, that passionate love. How many of you know, when we're thinking, talking about honeymoon love, how many of you can recognize a couple that's got that honeymoon love when you're out eating somewhere? Everybody give me a nod. I mean, it's sickening. It's sickening. They, they sit really close to each other, even though they got the whole table. They scoot over, and they just look at each other. Their food comes, and they don't even bother eating it for a while. They're just looking at each other and just batting their eyes. And just, when you see them drive down the road, looks like a two-headed driver. How many of you remember? How many of you know what I'm talking about? We used to have a couple... Uh, years and years and years ago wasn't at this church but we had a couple and, and uh, she would actually sit in church and she would sit on his lap in church how many of you know think that could be a little bit distracting a little bit distracting you know and so they're sitting uh, hang on and so you know we, we we did what all baptists do we had a meeting what are we what are we going to do i mean what are we going to do i mean how is that what are we going to do about that but it all took care of itself you know how it was solved they got married. Yeah. Once they got married, they no longer sat on each other. <laughs> now, we laugh a little bit, but the sad thing is sometimes in marriage, we kind of can, can drift apart a little bit. Sometimes we can lose that honeymoon love. I shared in the middle service, to my bad, and I had a discussion with Brenda this week. I feel like I've kind of drifted apart from my relationship with her. Nothing bad, I mean, nothing, nothing bad at all. But I just haven't had her on the forefront of my burner. And that's my bad. I'm just saying to you, it's possible. It's possible to be so busy doing so many good things that that passionate love for God all of a sudden is on the back burner. Now, Jesus said again, the most important thing to God is that intimate, passionate love relationship and so here the church is they're so busy serving god greatest church ever but they were so busy serving god all of a sudden they weren't passionately in love with god now i'm just being honest from a human standpoint i would think god would say to this church I can understand. I mean, hey, I can overlook the fact that you don't have the passion anymore. But man, you're doing so much for me. You think God would overlook that. But notice what Jesus goes on to say. Remember where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. I want to ask you this morning. When have you been the most passionately in love with God? I love to be around new believers. When new believers get saved, they don't know how they're supposed to act in church. And they just get happy. 
You know, when you're really in love with God, you know, when you're in love with someone, I mean, your whole life is consumed with that relationship, right? Somebody in love comes up to me and says, you want to see some pictures of my honey? Not really, but I'm going to see them, I think. And so they get out their wallet and they, I mean, every possible angle. Isn't she sweet? You know, when you're in love with someone, isn't it true that you want, it's, it's not hard to talk about somebody you're in love with. I had a, a lady one time, one of the most godly women I've ever had the privilege of serving with, and she said to me, you know, even though I tell people, go out and witness, go out and witness, go out and witness, she said, you know, when you really aren't passionately in love with God, even though you can go out and witness, it's all mechanical. But you show me somebody who just is passionately in love with God, and I'll show you somebody that's going to tell everybody about God. I remember when uh, Andy Andros got saved, a friend of mine, and he was, he, was, he was a drug dealer. I mean, he had long hair. I had long hair. But he was a drug dealer. And he, he always told me, I may get saved, but it's going to be at the end of the uh, summer because I came up here to have a good time. Somehow he didn't think you could have a good time if you got saved. You say, where in the world would he get that idea? From looking at, at Christians a lot of times. But anyway, y'all aren't responding. That's okay. But Andy got saved, and he got so full of Jesus, man, he was telling everybody about Jesus. They even threatened to fire him on his summer job because he was telling everybody about Jesus. But it wasn't because he had to. just couldn't help it. And man, I want to be, remember Peter and, and John when the, the religious leaders commanded them not to teach or preach in the name of Jesus? You remember what Peter said? We can't help it. We can't help but tell the things we've seen and heard. Well, wouldn't it be great if we're so in love with God and so filled with the love of God that, man, we just couldn't help but tell everybody about him? I believe a love relationship with God is the most important thing to him. And that is so amazing to know it's not about performance, it's not about us doing more, but it's just about receiving that incredible love. This week I got to do chapel for the middle school at CCS. I always love doing chapel. It's the middle school. They're about 13 to 15 years old. And uh, in Jewish culture, that's when they move from childhood to adulthood. And so I had one of the students come up, uh, Jack. Jack came up, Jack Stroop, and stood next to me. And I said, who's more important to God, me or Jack? And I said, I should be more important, right? And they all go, no. And the truth is, Jack is just as important to God as I am. I want you to know God loves you unconditionally. God's love for you is amazing. And Jesus says to the church, if you're not willing to get that right, I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand. Now again, from a human standpoint, it's hard to imagine as much as they were doing right, as much as they were doing right, Jesus says to the church, if you don't get this one thing straightened out, I'm going to remove your witness. Isn't that crazy to think that that is the most important thing? It's not how much we're working and how much we're doing and, and how much we're serving. The number one thing is to be passionately in love with God and experience that love. That to God is the most important thing. And I'm so glad that it is. Later, as Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, and we mentioned he wrote a letter to the church, 
In chapter 3, he gives a prayer for the church. And this is a great prayer, by the way, to pray every day in 2021. He prays, and the prayer goes from verse 15 to 21. I'm just giving you kind of the middle part of the prayer. And this is what he's praying for the church at Ephesus that he loves so dearly. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, the height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Here's what he prayed to the church at Ephesus. I want you to know the height, the depth, the width, the length. He said, I want you to experience the love of God, which enables us to experience the fullness of God. He wanted the church to be so passionately in love with God. And I want to say in 2021, it's not about doing more programs. It's not about getting any more busy. It's about slowing down. Most of us need to slow down and give up some stuff and readjust and make sure that our love relationship with God is the most important thing in our life. Because in God's eyes, it is the most important thing. And so I already showed you a picture, but this is the church of Ephesus today. Isn't that sad? If you would have said, man, what church has the chance of going all the way to the second coming? I would have said the church in Ephesus. They have the best chance. But today it's just ruins. Because somewhere they got so busy serving God, they lost that intimate love with God. It can happen. A couple more screens I want to close with. John the Apostle. Most places you find John's name, they refer to him as John the Apostle. But in his own gospel that he wrote, the Gospel of John, he refers to himself three times as the disciple whom Jesus loved. That sounds boastful, doesn't it? The disciple whom Jesus loved. And this week, man, God just brought that to my mind. I think John got it. I think John understood not just in his head that God loved him. Because we grow up singing the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We quote John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave. But somewhere in John, it went from his head to his heart, and he realized, I'm the disciple who Jesus loves. He experienced that ultimate love of God personally. And since Thursday, this was Thursday morning's devotion. Since Thursday, every day I get up, I say to God, God, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm your child who you love. I stand in front of the mirror and I say, you're God's favorite. Doesn't that sound boastful? But I'm going to tell you, you can say the same thing. When you discover that God loves you, it literally will change your life. No longer do we have to get up and try to perform to earn God's love. You know, all my life we've been, I've been taught God's love is unconditional. It's unconditional. And yet I put conditions on God's love. If I can just get this straightened out in my life, if I can just get more busy, somehow, somehow maybe I can earn God's love. That's Pharisee love. And when you discover that you are God's favorite, when you discover he loves you, 
that you're the child that he loves, it will change your life when you stand in front of a mirror and honestly believe you're his favorite. John got it. John truly experienced. It's no wonder that John, more than any other New Testament writer, wrote about the love of God. It's John in 1 John that says, God is love. And he says if we love God, we're going to love his children. Here's what John knew. That when you fall in love with God, you're automatically going to fall in love with his children. Most people say, I love God, I just can't stand those believers. Those believers are a mess. But here's, what, here's how you can measure your love for God. You can measure your passion for God by how passionate you are for his children. And here's what you're going to discover. All of us are a work in progress. I think it was Brett, Brett Jones, we were meeting one time, and he was talking about you know, children learning to walk. And how many of you remember when your children, grandchildren first started to walk? It was, it was, it was sloppy. They'd get up and they'd wobble. They'd take a half a step. You get them up and, man, you're high-fiving each other. Woo! Did you see them? They were walking to me. They were walking to me. I saw that. You get them up. They take a few more steps and fall. Took them a long time to get it. You know, a parent would never say to a child, why don't you get it? The fact that they're learning to walk. You love them. I just want to tell you, God knows you're a work in progress. I've said this many times. I'm 64 years old. If anybody should have arrived, I should have made it. I've been in full-time pastor for 42 years. I should have made it. But the, the more I walk with God, the more I see the holiness of God, the more I realize how unholy I am, and the more I'm amazed that he loves me. But as you're learning to walk the walk, and again, all of us are kind of a work in progress, if you can receive that God loves you, even though you don't have it all together, and even though you're stumbling and falling, it does not diminish his love for you. If we're going to teach that God loves us unconditionally, why don't we receive that? Somebody says, well, what if I go astray? God will discipline us, that's true, but he always does it in love. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. God never disciplines in anger, always in love. But if it really dawns on you that God loves you as you are, that God loves you in the process of you becoming like Jesus, it will change your life. So I love John. So here's, here's, here's a couple of my challenges. Every day, I want you to get up and say, I'm the child who he loves. If you really want to get bold, tell that to your spouse. I'm his favorite. It really is true. I don't know who it was that said if God had a refrigerator, he'd put your picture on it. If it really dawns you, I think it was D.L. Moody, and I've heard different accounts of the story of D.L. Moody. But one of the accounts I've heard is I remember it. D.L. Moody was walking down the streets of Chicago, this very successful church. And yet he just felt there was something missing. And I remember reading the testimony, he just said, God, there's got to be more than this. There's got to be more than just burning it from morning till night. There's got to be something more. And as he was walking down the streets of Chicago, all of a sudden it became real to him. I can't even explain how it happened or why it happened, 
But he described it, as I read one account, as just waves of God's love coming over him. All of a sudden, from having a head knowledge, he had a heart experience, and he just felt the love of God just in waves pouring out over him. And he said he literally almost had to ask God to stop, or he didn't know that he could survive. I want to experience the love of God. I don't want to just sing about it. I don't want to just have it up here in my head. I believe the number one thing, the first thing that we need to get as a priority in our life is to know the number one thing God wants is an intimate love relationship. Isn't that amazing? That even though, again, we have things we're working on, He absolutely loves us unconditionally. Last screen, John chapter 17. This is a prayer Jesus was praying the longest recorded prayer that Jesus prayed, and uh, very familiar. We've read it a hundred, hundreds of times. I want to look at the very last verse, verse 26 of John 17, as Jesus prayed. And how many of you know that whatever he prayed for happened? Whatever he spoke happened. This was the last verse of this prayer. He said, I have declared to them your name, and I will declare it, Listen to what he says, that the love with which you love me may be in them. The very same love in which the Father loved Jesus. Jesus prayed that we would experience that same love. It seems impossible that God could love me with the same love which he loved his son. But that's what Jesus prayed. I want you to experience that unconditional love of the Father. That's my prayer for 2021, that we could somehow put that as a priority in our life, that we could kind of slow down and just kind of back up from all the craziness and just make sure that our love relationship with God is absolutely the top priority. Let's pray together. I just want you, if you will, if, if you feel comfortable, you can stand, you can remain seated if you want. I just want you to, to turn your palms up to heaven. I want you to picture a small child or a grandchild just reaching up and saying, Mama, Dada. And if I remember correctly, our kids said Dada before they said Mama. That's how I interpret it anyway. But anyway, how many of you remember when your kids, your grandkids said, Mama, Dada, Papa, Mama. There's no parent that could look at a child reaching up that would not reach down and just love on that child. I just want to tell you with all of my heart, God wants to love on you. He wants to tell you today and all the craziness we're going through in our country, his love for you has not diminished. I just want you to feel him reach down and just wrap his arms around you and just love on you today. Father, I just pray that you would fill us with your spirit. I pray not one person would walk out of here today feeling like a nobody. God, I pray that we would walk out of here with just an overwhelming sense of your incredible love for us. Father, blow through this place 
And I pray that we would have that moment that it moves from our head to our heart and that we would really experience your incredible love. So we're going to close with a song. Love you guys. Great to see you. It's good again to kind of get back into the, the swing of things. Love you. Hope you have the best day ever. Thank you.